This is Jevila, and you're listening to Less Stress Podcast. Less Stress is a platform exploring all parts of the human experience and forming it into one holistic being. In today's episode, a long-awaited one, we talked to Kasha Jubritz. We talked on collective trauma, collective resilience, our conscious and unconscious parts of the nervous system, and how we either stay vital or constricted in our everyday lives. And at this point, I'll quote Kosha. We would define trauma as a result of an overwhelming experience. Usually our nervous system can process moments of high intensity and then we need some moments where we can digest more, reflect to ground the intensity again. If we have a healthy balance in our lives, our nervous system processes our lives completely and in a way grounded back into the planet. It flows through. There is a continuous learning from our life experience, but there is no trauma. In situations where the intensity becomes overwhelming and our nervous system is not able to process the intensity, we have a very intelligent response which is to stop the flow of energy and to parcel the certain amount of intensity or information off. Then, this energy becomes visible in our lives only for symptoms. It's literally pushed into the unconscious part of our awareness. It doesn't disappear. It's as if it sinks very deeply into the ocean and the energy continues having effects in our lives. But it is not visible in our conscious awareness. This happens through individual nervous systems. So Kasha is a current CEO of the Pocket Project, former leader of the Global Eco-Village Network. She holds an MSc in Organizational Development, is an international facilitator, author, coach, and consultant, and has worked extensively in the fields of sustainable development, curriculum development, and intercultural collaboration. Kosha grew up in South Africa under apartheid and has been dedicated to the healing of divides and collective trauma ever since. Kosha has received the Daddy Yankee Award for engaging spirituality in life and work and the One World Award for her work with the Global Eco-Village Network. She serves as host and mentor on Thomas Hubel online courses and was a co-host of few online summits on collective trauma. With such a proud, with such an honor, and such an excitement. Let's dive in into conversation with Kosha and Gabriela. So hello Kosha, hello Gabriela. It's uh, really nice to have you here today on Less Stress Podcast. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Lovely to be with you, Chivila and Gabrielle. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming here, really, truly. This has been awaited, long awaited. <laughs> uh, okay, so without uh, going um, too far, I would like to start with a question for you, Kosha. Um, just really simply, could you tell us a little bit about your personal healing journey and how you came across to the trauma work? Well, let me see how I can package that into a small, you know, small time frame. I grew up in South Africa, so I grew up in a system um, called apartheid, which was built on 
maxims of racism or keeping different ethnicities apart with white supremacy ingrained into the system. And I was born in 68, so I went, in the time that I went to school, the anti-apartheid movement in the country was already very intense and also in the world. And as a child, even as a young child, I could feel the deep injustice of the system as a white child. Um, I remember having my first very strong conversations about this in my family system at the age of seven, but then also in school. So for some reason, I had a sense of what was happening systemically, which I think children often are very sensitive to injustice. But also I started having nightmares about the, the threat of violent eruption, which was clear. It was in the system. It was very palpable that the system had a very high tension within it because of the injustice. So growing out of that and then becoming a teenager who, is, um, who worked actively against apartheid, um, but also thereby turning against my own family, they felt that this was like putting their existential safety in jeopardy, was some of the big processes in my life which really shaped my life's journey. And much later in my life, I, you know, also in my intimate relationships, it took me until I was 40 to actually remember um, sexual abuse that I had experienced as a baby, so three and a half years old. So I had a very intense personal journey of, really working through the experiences of a near-death experience when I was three and a half, but then beyond that, even younger experiences that I'd had, which were not available to me in my memory, very visible through the symptoms in my life, but not, I was not able to access them through clear memory. It took me probably 15 years of work, or you could say, 20 years of work from 20 to 40 to be able to actually access memories. And then that had a very strong um, effect. I became ill for quite a while once I remembered. And yeah, in this whole time, I've really been working um, because as many of us know, very young trauma, which is very physical is deeply ingrained in the nervous system and in the body. It's very deeply embodied. And to work through that and heal that needs very precise work. And I, at least in my life, I also experienced that it takes time and you come to more and more subtle levels um, of really cleaning your own system, your personal system, which is in a way a prerequisite to also turn towards the ancestral and collective healing, even though it's, of course, deeply entangled. It's like one process, the individual ancestral collective trauma. It's an entangled whole, 
and a space of interbeing. So in my work, I, I started very early working on community empowerment work because I felt that that's how we can build peace and authenticity and dismantling of systems of oppression, that we also need to do this bottom up. And so I was very engaged in the Global Village Network for 30 years, really, in the Intentional Community Network. I became a leader in the network and in the end, the CEO of the Global Eco-Village Network, where I worked for 15 years. And in that time, I noticed also in my work how in the communities, these are intentional communities that really are dedicated to creating cultures of healing, regeneration in all areas of life. I realized that many of these communities start with a very high level of purpose. And then over time, even though we did have a lot of psychological process tools, we it feels as if all the communities reach a ceiling. And then as if the, the development, the, the flow of constant growth and development of the community being itself kind of stalls. And I've been watching this over a long time and wondering about it. And over time, I came to the conclusion that it happens where as a community, we hit the unconscious layer of collective trauma. And we need a different tool to be able to work with it. Plus, the last layer is that in the global Ecovillage network, and as we worked with equal representation from all of the continents, I could see how the fragmenting force of collective trauma, especially the trauma of colonialism, of enslavement, of racism, of gender violence, play into global relationships, and even with the best of intentions. There is so much sand in the system that we're not able to fulfill our purpose. And the same became very clear for me in the framework of the United Nations climate change conferences, where I was very engaged for 12 years, the last 12 years, and just seeing how far apart the good intentions and the agreements and the you know, this is what we're going to do. And the reality is like somewhere so far behind. And we know this actually means, um, yeah, destruction of life on the planet, but we're not able to close the gap. And I just became more and more interested in what is the sand in the system. So two years ago, I really shifted my work and stepped in as the CEO of the Pocket Project, where we are dedicated to building pockets of healing that start digesting, integrating, healing pockets of trauma in the world. And I just decided that this is what I need to focus on now because um, it's at the root of what the crises, the multiple crises that we see in the world in my, from my so answering the first question, you already touched upon so many layers that we could probably look into throughout, you know, the whole time together with you. And 
we are aware that people who are listening to this podcast, they are not necessarily very familiar with the terms of what is the difference, you know, between collective trauma, personal trauma, and ancestral trauma. And you briefly just mentioned that they are part of one flow somehow. But could you please, if you may, just uh, give short brief explanation what we are talking about here yeah beautiful so we in the pocket project you know this has been founded by thomas hubel who has been working on this topic for over 20 years now um so i work very closely with him and um feel very continuously inspired also by him So we would define trauma as the result of an overwhelming experience. Usually our nervous system can um, process moments of high intensity and then we need possibly some moments where we can digest more, reflect to ground the intensity again. And if we have a healthy balance in our lives, Um, our nervous system process our lives completely and in a way ground it back, you could say, into the planet. You know, it flows through. And there is a, a learning that stays, a continuous learning from our life experience, but there is no trauma. But in situations where the intensity becomes overwhelming and our nervous system is not able to process the intensity, We have a very intelligent response, which is to stop the flow of energy and to actually parcel a certain amount of intensity or information off, which, as I described in my personal experience, can even lead to the fact that we forget what happened. You know, it can go that far. Um, or we choose not to remember that part because it's so painful to remember. and then this energy comes becomes visible in our lives only through symptoms. It's literally pushed into the unconscious part of our awareness. It doesn't disappear. It's as if it sinks very deeply into the ocean. And it continues there. The energy continues, and it continues having effects in our lives but it is not visible in our conscious awareness. And this happens through individual nervous systems. But the, the misconception that we have in our current cultures, especially the Western cultures, is that our nervous systems are separate wholes, that my nervous system is separate from your nervous system, which we don't believe is the case. So. We have the capacity in our individual nervous systems to self-regulate, but we also have a deep capacity between us to co-regulate. And this is scientifically proven in neuroscience through the mirror neurons. For instance, if you see a mother and her baby, I'll just take this as an example. It could be a father and the baby. But there is usually a language, which they even describe, called motherese, where the nervous system of the mother and the nervous system of the baby actually in the communication come into a rhythmic flow, a response. 
And if the nervous system of the mother is able to feel the baby, this flow is free. It becomes a free flow. So if we are in a healthy state in our nervous systems, our nervous systems resonate with each other. They form what we call coherent coherence, where rhythmic communication becomes possible, and actually the nervous systems have a dance together. This can also happen on the collective level. This is super important. I'm describing it because this is at the heart of healing. You know, I think at the moment we have, for instance, many young people who are deeply overwhelmed by what is happening in the world, the war in Ukraine, the issues of climate change, COVID, economic hardship. Um, and many of us have grown up in societies that have taught us, you need to be able to deal with this alone. But the truth is, our nervous systems were never meant to deal with intensity alone. And many of the indigenous cultures still know this or have known this always. Like in South Africa, the, in, you know, the local culture has this Ubuntu, I am because you are. You know, there's many sayings in different cultures about how we are in a state of interbeing, as Thich Nhat Hanh said. So this interbeing and also in the nervous systems, um, so we have this individual level of experiences that are too intense for our nervous system to process. If we have others around us within those intense experiences that help us to co-regulate, they might be going through the same experience, but as we become able to actually feel each other, hold space for each other, we become able to process together what would be too intense for one individual nervous system. So a child that has an intense experience, if it is then received by its parents into a space of co-regulation, can process the experience and might not carry trauma with it, as an example. So if we, if we look at our nervous system, I just want to describe the ancestral and the collective, yeah, and I'll try and keep it short. So the in terms of the ancestral trauma so of course through history we've had groups of people going through experiences together wars like the second world war which is a historic experience that all of our ancestors here in europe if we have european ancestors went through in some for others so it's like a shared layer of experience Plus, our ancestors might have gone through individual experiences that were super um, intense and that couldn't be processed. So in the genetic material, literally, that we receive, we carry the memory of ancestral trauma that could not be processed by our ancestors. Whatever could be processed comes to us as resilience, as traumatic learning, as wisdom, as integrated knowledge. Whatever could not be processed comes to us as, you could call it, a responsibility 
something that if ever we have enough resources is still waiting at the bottom of the ocean to be integrated. And all of this together creates what we call collective trauma. The trauma that we are born into, which is the ancestral trauma, but also the way that trauma leads to cultural agreements. So we could, for instance, the the separation, this notion that each of us should be able to process trauma alone is actually a symptom of trauma. And it has been so deeply ingrained in our cultural agreements that we believe this to be true. It's what over the past decades we've taught children in schools. You know, we haven't taught them well. You know, let's come together and see how we can help you process this intense experience you're having as your parents are going through a divorce. You know, it's like you have to deal with it. So, yeah, so that's the collective trauma. And in each individual in our nervous system, these three form a whole that we can learn to distinguish also. We can learn to work with them with awareness. And we always say, if in doubt, come back to the most intimate circle, the personal trauma. This is where we need to always start our digestion until our nervous system is resourced enough. And then we can consciously also start working on the integration of ancestral. This is very simplified what I said, but yeah, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, it touches upon all three layers a bit and explains how they intertwine, we hear that. But another question which naturally comes out from what you've just spoken was about the symptoms of trauma. Because sometimes what we see as a reaction can be just a normal, healthy reaction of nervous system trying to figure out what's happening. And when we can actually recognize that it is actually symptom of trauma and uh, how, you know, to distinguish those two. And this is important probably to look at in a greater detail. You know, there there's a lot of continuums in our lives. And I think at the heart of the work is the fact that we move from a deficiency-based view on us as human beings to the view of how very intelligent we are as we do our very best in our lives. You know, so really shifting the way we see ourselves and all our responses. So trauma symptoms are intelligent. They are wise. You know, even some of them have become unnecessarily repetitive in our lives. And I think we feel that mainly through um, each of us in our lives will have the experience of this is a pattern. I'm starting to recognize that this is a pattern I've seen before. 
And we could also start practicing just to distinguish where do I feel I feel as if I am in a natural flow and I follow my creativity? And where do I feel a sense of constriction, a sense of feeling when I'm in a flow, I don't feel separate from others. I'm simply in my flow. When I feel constricted, another symptom of that is also that I feel more separate. I feel more fragmented from the world. I feel um, less able to find what is the next step that I should be doing. I might feel more confused. I might feel very exhausted. So starting to distinguish in my life, where do I feel more in flow? Where do I feel more constricted? Is an interesting entrance door into exploring this. And then the same, starting to bring that perception to the teams that I work with, to the world, my society. Where do I see areas where there's creative flow? And where do I see areas where it's more constricted? And overall, we see that trauma has a fragmenting um, effect. It's as if you throw a stone into a big pot of paint. And the paint splashes out and is against the walls. You know, I, I, I spoke before about this kind of bubble or pocket of information that is pushed out of our consciousness. So, you know, that picture, it's as if we're a lot of separation and fragmentation grows out of trauma so that Things feel further away. The world feels very far away. Othering is a natural, grows from trauma. Those people out there are making the mistakes. The government, this country, them, you know, it's, 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 and we lose our agency. So that's, you know, maybe the, the core way to describe the effect of trauma. Um, but of course, there's also what many of your listeners might also be deeply steeped in, the um, self-protective mechanisms around trauma. And these are, you know, the same deeply enmeshed. Like somebody brings... A feedback to me that I experience is critical and immediately I'm constricted. My nervous system constricts because I haven't had enough positive experience that feedback can be a wonderful possibility for learning for me. I've experienced it as a child as a way of putting myself down. So somebody brings a feedback. I cannot even listen to the feedback fully. Immediately my protective mechanisms are online. You know, this is the protective mechanisms that I speak about. So watching all of that in myself and in the world can be super helpful. And how we work with it is that 
None of that is wrong. All of that is very intelligent. If we were, for instance, to meet the intensity of the collective trauma around the Holocaust or colonialism or racism, our nervous systems, even if we came together as a big group and were able to build a beautiful coherence between our nervous system, it's too intense for us to process. We need to do this slowly. So having these protective mechanisms in place is very intelligent. And we need to build the necessary resilience to become aware of these trauma symptoms, which in a way are protective mechanisms, become aware of them, start seeing them. As we see them, biggest shift in behavior that is needed is instead of saying, what is wrong with me that I keep having this behavior, to stay with the behavior in an embodied way, to feel it fully in the body. Or if it's in a collective body, to feel myself fully as part of that collective body. It comes back to embodiment. Within that embodiment, which has, in a way, a a possibility of owning, while at the same time holding the witnessing aspect, this is a bit complex now, but it's like the full embodiment with the full witnessing aspect, like the awareness about it, allows it to, in a way, relax. Wow, I'm being seen. And when something is fully seen, that fully felt, sensed, that is the impulse towards healing. And then it's like a a movement that happens by itself. Life is very wise in its healing mechanism. We can provide the seeing for each other, for ourselves, for the world. And this is, in a way, our superpower. As Thomas Hubel often says, we have the superpowers of presence and relating. They come together in this capacity to see, to be with. And in that embodied being with, these patterns start to transform. And they transform by themselves. And out of that, it's like a melting. Thomas often calls it a liquefying, where suddenly... These ingrained patterns of protection are no longer needed and it starts melting. And that's the place where out of the trauma come suddenly traumatic learning, wisdom, information about how we might actually start restoring um, the original fabric, the original flow of life. Yeah, thank you. It's truly, truly wonderful. I just wanted to um, zoom in a little bit more into the, I guess, current events and specifically the war in Ukraine. Um, And I wonder, I will come with this question, why is it still often, especially in the trauma field, it's considered as an undigested World War II? So what is your kind of take on this? And... uh from my side also what you just mentioned earlier that it's 
you know, witnessing healing starts when we start to be aware of the situation as it is. And it looked like, you know, for some years now in Europe, in European context, that we were kind of being more and more aware that we need healing, we need peace, we need to deal with the past more and more. And then the eruption of another violence to this extent comes to us, to some of us really next door, to some of us in our own country. And, you know, can we look from that angle that, you know, also it is part somehow of unfinished process, but also that there were some effort, if you agree with us, done in looking into the healing, you know, like into the trauma world and more and more spoken about it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, beautiful question. So we, right now we have the um, a trauma-informed leadership course that actually both of you are enrolled in, which is wonderful. And we really hope to also bring this kind of knowledge to yeah, more and more countries. But um, we also have 110 Ukrainians that are participating in that course. So through that, um yeah, it's been quite close to our organization or to to me in my heart. Yeah, so maybe two, three things I want to say to that. One thing is that, you know, we could ask the same question about why is this coming now? Um, an increase of crisis when we have just started to do more and more work on trauma integration. And, you know, I think we need to see this in a big time flow. If we look at humanity, I believe that we have now gone through thousands and thousands of years of traumatization. But we haven't really come to the stage in humanity where we start looking at trauma directly in the eye. So it feels as if we have been amassing collective trauma in the world. And for sure there have been pockets that have done conscious integration works. In our Western culture, I fear that we have left trauma mostly undigested. And these are layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of archaeological traumatization. You know, we can say the oppressive systems since war started in Europe. You know, this is hundreds and thousands of years back. And from that, you know, stuff like the witch hunts in Europe or you know, colonialism, slavery that Europe was deeply involved in. So all of this is part of the European history. You know, the past, like big, you know, before COVID, there were other diseases. But then coming to the more recent part, past, um, again, there's layer upon layer, even if we look into the history of Ukraine, you know, where in the time of Stalin with um I believe that Ukraine was used also as a a place to take food from, to um, sell the grains of Ukraine, which led to a huge um, hunger 
a human-induced wave of deaths of hunger in the early 30s where millions of people died. Then in the Second World War, just in Ukraine, eight million, more than 8 million people were killed in the Second World War. These are not small numbers. You know, this is like big waves, you know, going through. Um, yeah, then we have experiences like Chernobyl, you know, and then we speak about the fall of the Iron Wall, you know, or the fall of the wall in Germany, but the integration of East and West that has taken place isn't a true integration. Because, you know, I can speak for Germany. I lived in Germany for a long time. And um, my mother comes from Germany. Um, and we're also doing deep work in Germany. and we're coming to the very clear conclusion there has been no integration of the East and West in Germany, which would mean that each learns from the other deeply. It's not one side taking over the other. It's a very deep process of learning and seeing. You could say nervous systems, the cultural nervous system, really learning from each other and resonating. You know, that's the process we're looking for. And also, if we look at the collective integration of the Second World War, um, we barely scratched the surface. And we see the effects everywhere. Also in Israel-Palestine, we see the effects. It's ongoing. So, yes, a beginning has been made, but the time has come to acknowledge, I'm going to say a bit strong here, to acknowledge the incredible fragmenting force that our collective past, the transgressions of sacred law that we have committed as humanity upon each other and upon the nature, um, upon the very planet, the very fabric of life, to acknowledge this and to pick up the responsibility. And each country, each continent should actually allocate resources to this integration work. Politicians would need to do conscious work on seeing the collective trauma of the fields that they're engaging with. And just to say, because, you know, trauma is still like a stigma. You know, it feels like, oh, looking at trauma, that means I'll be depressed, I'll be incapable of work, you know. It's like we don't want to look at trauma, you know. It feels like something is wrong with us. No. You know, it's like acknowledging that this is part of our past. It needs a lot of resilience to come to that. It's And then we do it in a way, step by step, where actually every step of trauma integration increases the traumatic learning, which unleashes a lot of creativity, a lot of energy. You know, if you think of those bubbles of trauma, every one of those that is released not only does all that energy come back into flow and increase our creativity, but also the energy that it constantly takes to push it out of our awareness, that takes a constant energy. That also comes back and becomes available. So it's, it's actually a huge unleashing of potential, but it needs a commitment to resources, of resources to this issue. And that is not yet happening. Plus, another point I would like to make is that um, 
at the moment, awareness is growing around the planet, as you very rightly say. We're seeing more, but we're at the beginning stages of that. So at the moment, it's, you know, maybe we could describe it that a, a growing level of human awareness, which is spreading very fast around the planet, actually, is seeing more and more. And this is coming up in big movements, like the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, big movements that are saying, you know, no longer this has to change. The climate movement, you know, the Extinction Rebellion movement, you know, this has to change. So we're seeing awareness growing. And as awareness grows, it's like more light coming into the system. So we see more of the unconscious matter. And that creates a tension in the system. We have a reaction to that. You know, all the protective parts in us, in our society, that are protecting us against the intensity of what is coming are also coming online. And that is the huge tension that we're seeing in the world right now with more autocratic leaders rising again. You know, and it it needs, I would say in us, if I believe that the listeners of this are the group that are, you know, really working for awareness, one of the main works that we can do is facing up to where do we other, where do we say it's them, it's because of them that we can't move forward, it's because of them that peace can't happen. And instead, really come home and work on the parts in me where my self-protective mechanisms are active. Because that's where I have agency. Where are my shares in the repetitive constriction of another war? You know, where do I wage war in my personal life? You know, take ownership. And then bring that to my workspace, to my organization, out into society and slowly, because that brings me into my agency. That's where my agency lies. If I go into the othering, in a way I freeze my agency and I'm part of the, the game of fragmentation and polarization. It needs a pause, naturally, <laughs> to be with what you just said. Mm. A lot. A lot of rich um, content there to digest for all of us. Thank you for sharing that and being really direct with what is, you know, according uh, to you and uh, looking from trauma perspective that we don't need anymore to sugarcoat. But at the same time, when we are overwhelmed, like many of us here in Lithuania were when the war just broke. Of course, it re-traumatized, re you know, the old wounds that, oh, we are next, what's happening, what is going to happen to my kids, my family, and all these unknowns, you know. It's very, very hard when it's like in your yard, so to say, almost in your yard, or it feels like it's in your yard, to feel open and compassionate to the other, to this perpetrator, so to say, so then we immediately feel 
finding ourselves into saying they are doing us wrong or to them wrong. And, you know, how to stand in this because it's a valid emotion. You cannot tell people not to feel anger, rage or fear when these things happen because it's out of balance, uh, violence and all these things. So how can we... I feel now it's a different wave of this already. People found strength in contributing, being part of the answer. But at the same time, it's a lot of action. And sometimes this action also comes as trauma response and trauma symptom to do rather to be in the pain, you know. So can you talk a bit about that? How in these particular re-traumatization moments, we can, um, well, balance at least a bit. And I just just want to add up a little bit. Um, as Gabriela said, uh, there's a lot of action response to what is happening in Ukraine from Lithuanian side, which is, in a way, it's very positive. But at the same time, when actually coming to um, the trauma work, you know, as you already said before, there's a lot of stigma on the trauma work. So there is a big uh, kind of push away from what whatever is related to even a trauma word. You know, we are even sometimes asked to not name it as trauma, to um, make it a bit less scary and uh, name it a bit less scary because people are like, they cannot, they cannot take it. But at the same time, we feel it you know, it's important because if we continue pushing it away and continue pushing away the integration of it, like we probably will continue to stay in, in the same stagnation and the emergence and the creativity that can happen when we actually face it, you know, it might never happen because of that. So, yeah, also, you know, what I just said that our main work is to see where am I constricting, you know, when I'm in a situation of war or very extreme current re-traumatization or traumatization, I am not in a situation of, very likely, of having the necessary resourcing to do a high level of active collective trauma integration work. You know, this is about the necessity for stabilization, for survival, for survival first, stabilization, and in situations like that, the symptom one of the trauma symptoms that comes from this fragmentation and polarization and lack of energy flow is scarcity. So in situations like that, there is scarcity in terms of the resources available to do the deep healing work. And at the same time, it also, in those of us, those of you who have deep inner wisdom and resources, it really calls on that. And it brings it out. So we also see the most amazing, beautiful, healing leadership emerge in times like this. You know, people who, within the most difficult, most existential life setting, 
come out with the most beautiful healing responses. Um, but there can be no um, call to that's how it should be. It's completely, um, it's, a, it's a situation where, and of course many of us in the world are in that kind of situation. I'm, I feel incredibly privileged right now to live in Scotland where I'm in a safe environment and also, you know, even the climate, um, the radical climate events are relatively softer still, you know, but they're coming faster and faster everywhere in the world. So the existential re-traumatization is also increasing. So in situations like that, for one, we need to always be with what is. We need to be precise with what is. So as a very concrete example, in the Trauma-Informed Leadership course, very much at the beginning, um, because we also have many friends in um, Russian social activist anti-war circles who are supporting um, Ukrainian refugees who wanted to participate in it. And at the beginning, we wanted to offer them that possibility. But then we realized that in the Ukrainian circles, at the moment, it's not possible. It's not the time to say, oh, you know, don't other, and let's have a course together, you know, let's build peace. It's not the time for that, because this is a time of war where the collective body of Russia is committing a transgression of sacred law, of attacking life, not protecting life. And so there is a current transgression of law, and then there has to be a no. And again, these are very complex issues that we're speaking about. And I don't feel like I even have the precision to speak to them precise enough. So I also want to apologize for that. We have to find out together. We need to learn together how to be with us. Um, so what I can say is that Every one of us can become a node of healing, even in the most painful situations. And we need to become very precise with ourselves. So if my nervous system is completely overwhelmed right now, I need to take care of that. If my nervous system is actually feeling utterly exhausted, I need to create, I need to take responsibility to create spaces in my life. And these might be much more subtle spaces than I imagine. It might be a moment while I look into the sky and have a tea. It might be a moment where just before I write my next message, I actually attune to the other person, relate to them, and then write the message. So it's a constant kind of, just a moment to feel my body before I do the next step. So it's a constancy of deepening my witnessing presence throughout, and my relating throughout my day. And just keep coming back to that. 
It might just be as I walk that I feel my feet on the ground. So very simple impulses and bringing, keep bringing this in. Every moment I can take to look at the, re, the leaves swaying in the air will bring me in connection to the larger framework of life. Then also around me to look at what are the relationships I have that support my resilience. So where are friendships, work relationships, where the hyperactivation of the nervous system, you know, going into more and more stress, where we can actually find a way to maybe do the same amount, but with less stress in the system. Can we support each other with that? To just have a minute of embodiment before we start to work together. And what are the relationships around me that I can build that help to bring that kind of small healing wave into even a very traumatizing situation? Even a moment of life and death, I can... You know, actually in moments of life and death, often our nervous systems come to that presence, witnessing, noticing. Yeah. And um, from there, I think it's also very important to the global networks that we build. And this is part of what we're doing in the Pocket Project, but in many, many other organizations around the world to build global relationships where we can support each other. So while Ukraine is, is in this situation of having a war waged against them, people are dying every day, that they, the rest of us do not turn away because it's too painful to see. But also we don't just wage action we actually bring an embodied presence also to that, our heartfulness. And this is the practice that we call in the Pocket Project Global Social Witnessing, bringing our embodied presence to global events so that we don't just respond on an intellectual level, but we actually respond as full human beings. And even in the level of global events, and we're really starting to work on this, um, uh, it's as if the nervous systems of the collective fields can feel it. You know, if there is a huge disaster somewhere and the rest of the world just reads the information, so and so many people died and think, oh my God, another catastrophe. Oh, I can't take this anymore. Or, oh my God, I have to do something. This is more and more and more happening. You know, none of this, but if I could feel wow, this just happened to you. And again, that might be overwhelming for my nervous system, so we need to create shared spaces. None of us can do this alone. None of us was ever meant to do this alone. So it's like we're doing this completely intricate work at this time of allowing more awareness to flow in seeing more, more shadow material arising, more presence to turn towards that, but also more protective mechanisms coming up, small pockets of healing growing everywhere, like your pocket in Lithuania, 
people who are working together to host awareness around this in their countries, their spaces, starting to reflect and digest small aspects of collective trauma. Slowly as this grows, this can also have a cumulative effect, like a ripple effect, where as we start cleaning up collective trauma, we can have more of a flow of creative energy through the whole system, you know. So we don't know what the outcome will be yet. Will the accumulation of crises lead to utter destruction? Currently, it looks like that. Or will the increased healing impulse that is coming out of this movement actually create a ripple effect throughout the world that brings so much learning and wisdom that we can go to a next level of finding solutions. And maybe it's both. Not an either or, but both is actually happening at the same time already now. Yes, yeah, so I feel like I could say a lot more. I haven't responded to all your questions, but maybe that's good. And I know we have to come to the end of our conversation now. So maybe that's the best I can do for now. And maybe you have just a, some completing words or a, a completing question. Yes, actually, um, you answered to most of the questions, I think. <laughs> So wonderfully, sometimes even without us asking them. So truly grateful, especially for the, those little tools and spaces of creation that we have kind of should try at least, you know, to create in our everyday lives um, for this embodiment of experiences to happen and kind of to come back in our bodies and feel what is happening and what we are experiencing both collectively and personally. So truly thankful for that. And we have this, um, at the end, uh, we have this little tradition. Just to say, because what you just said just reminded me, just to complete one thought, is that in the global field, you know, when there is a, a, a place of acute scarcity in the world, if the rest of us can form what, I don't know whether you know the work of William Urey who wrote Getting to Yes, he's one of the world's leading negotiators. And he speaks about the third side in the world. So if we have people elsewhere who can bring resourcing and support and compassion, it can really change the experience here and can allow for different solutions to arise. I feel like I said it, but I didn't say it as clearly and i feel that's our responsibility as a global community for instance at the moment towards ukraine and you know if ever this really spreads to lithuania towards you you know or it's our shared responsibility in europe in terms of east-west integration and healing work yeah thank you no this is a uh, truly important i feel yes so just that so ending tradition. remark <laughs> Tradition, yes. Just a simple question, not maybe not so simple. <laughs> what is less stress to you, or just what did 
feels when you hear those two words, less stress? Yeah, we speak about the three basic human rights, which are actually natural to our nervous system. And our nervous system will show us when they're not in place. And it's the right to be, the right to belong, and the right to become. And just by being born on this planet, in terms of the deep ingrained, we could call it the sacred law of our nervous system, our very, very heart of our being, we have a right to be, a right to belong, and a right to become. And when I can feel in my body my access to those rights, that I allow myself the right to be, the right to belong, and the right to become in my life, I feel less stress. Thank you so much. Truly beautiful. And uh, we are truly grateful, Gabriela, that you could have time to come to our podcast and talk on these really, truly important things, especially in the current circumstances. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time and your presence and your words and your embodiment. And the wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I really wish to all the listeners that you may start having this experience of what an exciting journey it is once we start saying, okay, what is what seems like a trauma symptom, what is challenging, what is difficult, becomes my way. I don't longer see it as in the way. I see it as my way. And it becomes incredibly exciting and a true adventure especially when we know and we find the circles that we don't need to do this alone we cannot do this alone and we start doing it together it's joyful work so thank you everyone for listening thank you so much Gabriela and Chilila for hosting and growing the space that you are growing in thank you And again, thank you for coming to the end of our conversation. And I truly hope you take something from it and bring it back with you. Uh, perhaps to remind or remember something later in the least expected circumstances. That some of the wisdom that comes from our wonderful speakers. I really hope that it comes in some practical ways back to you, at you. So I just want to shortly remind that if you want to support the growth and continuation of our Less Stress podcast and keep finding these amazing speakers, um, you can go to Patreon and uh, support our account Less Stress and you can donate any amount you like. And again, for more information on Less Stress, for now you can uh, follow us on social media less stress on facebook and less stress art on instagram and actually um, our website is also up so i'll give the link um, to that in the description of the podcast and um, some interesting and amazing stuff is coming in the next few months in less stress
So I hope to see you somewhere and truly grateful to have you here today. This is Javilla and you're listening to Less Stress Podcast.